The Process, a podcast about creativity and making music. In a world where maybe no one is listening, outcomes and accolades for contemporary classical composers can seem far and few between. Therefore, composers must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one composer and their music. By understanding how and why they create can inform inspiring composers and help audiences better understand contemporary classical music. I am Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of new music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. Think. John Fielder is a composer of electroacoustic and acoustic music, all of which shows his strong interest in timbre, texture, spatialization, and narrative. Fielder's music is inspired by his love of natural landscapes, science and mathematics, the human voice, and literature. Fielder's music is driven by his obsession with sound itself. Fielder's music has been presented and performed at numerous conferences, including the Society of Electroacoustic Music in the United States, Seamus, International Computer Music Conference, the Toronto Electroacoustic Symposium, Electronic Music Midwest, and the Electroacoustic Barn Dance. Fielder is also the author of the blog Clang, this blog is dedicated to discussing experimental and adventurous new music in America. Also an active researcher and music theorist, Fielder focuses on the music of Franklin Cox, Brian Fernihoe, Pierre Boulez, and Karl-Heinz Stockhausen, as well as multi-channel diffusion systems and performance practice of ascumatic music. If I'm writing a, an acoustic piece, I'm thinking about things like uh, limitations of instruments um, or number of players or, sure. uh, you know, the how broad or limited is the timbre of, you know, my or what kind of colors can I get out of this ensemble? Mm-hmm. Whereas with acousmatic music, I'm thinking about uh, almost like sky's the limit. I can do whatever sure. I want. And um, I think with acoustic music, I'm coming at it from the idea of a concept and then I think, okay, here's my concept. How do I create a representation of this with sound and how do I do that with these particular instruments? 
uh, and how can I do that in with the way I typically think about harmony and melody and layering and energy and uh, you know large scale motivic development where most of those things never come up with acousmatic music. I think mm-hmm. of uh, you know I'll hear a sound that I really like and I think I wonder how many different ways can I make that sound sure. and let's see what happens from there. Um, I do that a lot when I go to uh, like a ICMC or Seamus or, mm-hmm. you know, these electroacoustic conferences, especially sure. when I hear the acousmatic pieces, I think mm-hmm. I, I listen to them, I take them in and I take note of certain sounds that I hear. And I think I'm going to go try to make that sound and let's see where that goes. And that leads me to recording a lot of samples and a lot of different kinds of processing. And really those pieces sort of take shape entirely from uh Really, it's interesting from improvisation. Um, mm-hmm. I never improvise anything when I'm writing acoustic music. It's all very planned out. Mm-hmm. But when I'm creating electroacoustic music, what most people think of this, this very rigid, fixed thing mm-hmm. is entirely improv- uh, improvisatory for mm-hmm. me. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll just sit and I use a lot of things like you know, time stretching or freezing tools to just like create these loops that I can mangle and change. And they don't mm-hmm. sound like loops. They just mm-hmm. they sound like a lot of just noise. And I'll perform plug. I'll map plugins to MIDI controllers, and I'll just mm-hmm. perform on my mm-hmm. plugins and things like that. Or mm-hmm. uh, that's sort of how those take shape. So I, I think about. Uh, it's interesting, I guess. I think about acousmatic music as a very performative thing, mm-hmm. and I think about acoustic music as a very pre-planned way of yeah. approaching yeah. music. We, we've we've talked a lot about the word acousmatic and you know, the sort of traditional definition is is just, you know, music designed or created to emanate from speakers. You know, the, right. this idea that there's there's not human performers involved, at, at least in the reproduction for an audience. Do mm-hmm. you take that definition further than that? Do you define that word beyond just the idea that it's music being performed out of speakers? Are there other other sort of values or ideas that you incorporate in what as schematic music is? Yeah, I, I think so. I think part of it is um, from my personal, my mentors, uh, mm-hmm. you know, specifically Eleni Lilios was a huge inspiration um, when mm-hmm. I studied with her um, at Bowling Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think I don't put a lot of limitations on it beyond that, other than uh, I personally don't use any kind of um, recognizable instruments mm-hmm. without sort of intent. Um, and without some level of processing, I think it was something that uh, I don't remember if I read it somewhere or who it was. It might have even been Eleni that said it is um, if you're not taking advantage of the medium, why are you writing acousmatic music? And I think sure. that really resonated with me like, OK, well, if I'm writing, if I have just like a low piano note or I have something, you know, if I record this instrument and put it in there, I'm not really writing acousmatic music. I'm writing a piece for a performer and electronic sounds, I'm just not utilizing the actual performer. So what's the Mm -hmm. point? Mm -hmm. And so that's something I've tried to instill in my own students as well. And so I think if I were to put any other restrictions, yes, music performed by loudspeakers uh, that can't be reproduced by humans in real Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. um, and that utilizes sounds in a way that they can't be replicated by human or that I guess can't be replicated by humans at all. Um, because otherwise, what's the point? Transitioning into your piece, think, 
This piece is very, to me, it's very text-driven. And there is some purposeful intelligibility of the text to kind of flip the not having elements that can be done organically. I think that still falls in this category because you're doing some very interesting things with the processed voice. Tell us a little bit about creating this piece and maybe give us a little uh, background on why you created this piece. It's about a, a friend of mine, um, a very close friend of mine, uh, who I knew in Bowling Green um, when I lived there for those three years. And shortly after I left, uh, this friend of mine started to have some, some issues I was noticing. Uh, her behavior was changing. Uh, and over the course of a couple of years, I kind of saw... Uh, I mostly only had contact with her through social media, and I noticed that a lot of, of the things that she was posting on Facebook specifically um, were kind of rambly and meandering and a lot of disconnected non sequitur things. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I wonder what's going on there. And eventually it, it sort of, before anything happened, you know, it started, started to become just long strings of disconnected thoughts um, mm -hmm. and these really long posts. And then it got to a point to where it was uh, just sort of short phrases and then random words strung together. And mm -hmm. there was this, there was the only constant thread was that um, she would say something like she would make a, a statement and then say like, think, and then one word, like imagine this is what I'm saying. This is my thought. And then would distill it into a single word. Um, mm -hmm. And I think there were things like think psychiatrists, think police brutality, I think were two mm -hmm. of the things that came up a lot. And eventually these posts became not even words or thoughts. They were just long strings of letters and gibberish and made up words. Mm -hmm. And it was this really sort of powerless, very uncomfortable feeling to see it happening and to know like something's going on and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. So I started collecting all of them. I was like, she might want to see these one day. So I just mm -hmm. started taking screenshots and collecting everything. And eventually it was like, after a year or so, it was like, I feel like I need to, I, I can't really talk about this with anyone. No one knows our history. We don't have a lot of mutual friends any at that point. So I decided to try to put something into music and nothing really came of it. So I really, the text that's in there is read, what, it's sort of like a, a poem that I created almost. I took excerpts of it. Um, I took some of the jumbled words and letters. I took some of her phrases and just kind of combined them into something that doesn't make sense. If you read it from top to bottom, I, you kind of can't read it. It's almost mm -hmm. like an E.E. E. Cummings poem in that way. Mm -hmm. Like there's sections you literally just mm -hmm. can't read. And uh, so I thought, well, maybe I can do a piece for voice and electronics or maybe unaccompanied voice like, uh, you know, Carl Twitters or you know, Aaron Cassidy type mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that never came up. And mm -hmm. so one day I went into the studio like I do with my acousmatic pieces and I just mm -hmm. recorded a bunch of sounds and started playing around. It was the ping pong balls that you hear in the very beginning mm -hmm. is where that started. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, these are a lot of like really textural sort of visceral sounds that I was mm -hmm. recording and creating and thought maybe let's, let's pull that text out. Maybe it's supposed to be a voice and electronics piece. Let's try it. Mm -hmm. And so it really was just a test. I recorded myself reading the text and I thought, you know, that went pretty well. Let me try it again. So I read what you hear is actually one complete take, one unedited take other than some noise removal and EQ. And at the end of it, there was sort of this 
almost like a weight had been lifted, like just mm-hmm. sort of reading through all of that on my own and kind of yeah. not experiencing what she went through, obviously, but, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, with her diagnosed schizophrenia is what it ended up being. But I thought th- it's an acousmatic piece, text, sound, composition. Let's go from there. Think. But you lost the thought. Think. All have delusions. Hell de favel alavus ave de fell. God sings to the merry. Todd these to go six. Wind wind eliad null. E down John egg. Imline, think the the I Throughout the piece, there's this, there's uh, like this da dum, this sort of. Mm-hmm. It's like the only melodic thing that it continues in, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that makes little appearances throughout, sure. and then yep. that's really the primary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the it, it, it's not only you know textural and and very sort of lush, but um, it's you know almost uh, you know modal mm-hmm. really in the the mm-hmm. chords that are going on behind it, and it's just this whole shift. And I think for me that was supposed to be almost like a, a little coda elegy, almost, um, mm-hmm. and sort of representing my own sort of acceptance and powerlessness in the situation complete inability to do anything about it mm-hmm. and to the point that um i think throughout you know there's there's this thread of an idea where like i'm trying to reach out and mm-hmm. figure out what's going on like can i help like are you okay is there anything mm-hmm. i can do what's been going on in your life and then eventually there's just a complete loss of communication i don't think i mentioned that earlier eventually we just completely lost contact for months i had no idea what was going on mm-hmm. the all of the posts had ceased and i think that was the point where i was like i don't know what's going on i mm-hmm. don't know what has happened i might not ever speak to this person again mm-hmm. and i kind of had to go through this acceptance stage mm-hmm. you know this like mm-hmm. of grief mm-hmm. almost um mm-hmm. And that's really what is represented there. And so that was why I took, it was supposed to just be the, the chords and then the heavily processed, really reverberant vocal part. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I can't just have that come out of nowhere. And so that's sure. why I included that little like manipulations mm-hmm. of the, the vocal mm-hmm. line. And then at the very end, you hear this, this sort of um, kind of sound run through a comb filter and mm-hmm. those are the ping pong walls and creaking door from the mm. beginning. From earlier on, yeah. Right, from earlier on. So that it's sort of, they, those are the sounds that really, the ping pong balls in the very beginning, right after that minute, the first mm-hmm. sound you hear is this creaking door run through a, a comb filter. Um, but both of them kind of, you know, uh, you know, having some unique but similar qualities. And I kind of bring that back sort of further distorted and even less recognizable.
you described your music as post-Kerplunkety-Plunk neo-modernism. And I kind of get that. Like, I, I understand what, what that means. Um, but I'd love to hear you explain what that means. Yeah, it's a term that I came up with as a joke. And it's, it's in part related to uh, a friend of mine, Joshua Shank, who's a composer, uh, really talented choral composer, but we're very much on opposite ends of the aesthetic spectrum. And uh, one day he was walking down the hallways of UT Austin with his partner and heard just real like aggressive banging on a piano and a lot of like angular melodies and stuff. And he looked over at me and he's like, man, that is some angular dissonant kerplunkety, you know, whatever. <laughs> I guarantee that's John Fielder. And he walks into a room and there's me just like hammering on a, on a piano, just making noise. And he told me about that. And I was like, kerplunkety is like a very good description of most of what I do. Uh, and not a way that in like, I would tell people that and they're like, oh, that's not really a term of endearment. I was like, well, I, that's actually exactly what I do. I'm really on board with it. But I kept getting asked like, so what do you do? Is it like, you know, is it a, it's, it's atonal, but where would you classify it? Uh, when I was in undergrad, I took a, a course on orchestral lit and we were talking about how, you know, the early 20th century orchestral music and then later orchestral, you know, 20th century orchestral music and these powerhouse pieces. Mm -hmm. And someone was like, well, what about like 1940 to like 1970? Mm -hmm. And the instructor was like, oh, there's a lot of really great stuff written in that time period, but we just can't really cover it. It was really, you know, to put it, frankly, it's like 30 years of bleep blop kerplunkety music. <laughs> and so that was, I think, the second time that the word kerplunkety came up. Yeah. And I was like, you yeah. know, I really relate to a lot of that. You know, that makes me wonder about genre and it makes me wonder about categorizing music. And I think yeah. from, a, from a very practical sort of music industry perspective, understanding how to categorize a piece of music uh, is a way to figure out what Spotify channel it should be on, right? Right. Um, but from a, a modern art or contemporary art or contemporary classical music or whatever we're calling it, the, the, there can be a different reason to categorize things. And it kind of sounds like in that one story you were talking about uh, a, an area of music, 1940 to 1970, it was almost a way for that teacher to sort of dismiss that that genre or that, that style period, if you will, yeah. or that approach uh, saying it's kind of, Kerplunkety plunk, you know. Yeah. <laughs> music. Oh, that, yeah. Years later, I realized that's absolutely what was happening. At the time, I was like, oh, well, that's just 30 years worth of music that we can't cover. But it sure. was as an intentional yeah. 30 years that was left out. What was your response or what was your thinking about does it bother you that no one cares? I do think people care. I think small numbers of people care. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay. Um, I think. For a long time, I was worried about that. I was like, oh, man, I've just, you know, if, if I'm not applying to these uh, competitions or going to these summer festivals or winning mm -hmm. these awards, I, mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, what am I even doing? Yeah. And the more I got through school and then got out of doctoral school and started just working more independently, I, I'm starting to realize, like, you know, it, measuring success by the number of plays that you get on a streaming platform or a number of mm -hmm. downloads you can have or your rankings on charts, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't really mean anything to me because that's not mm -hmm. the world that I live in. And it's mm -hmm. not the world, musical world I'll ever live in. And so to place so much importance on that mm -hmm. doesn't really make sense to me. But that doesn't mean that no one cares. Um, mm -hmm. 
and I think, you know, in thinking about that, uh, it, we, we think about, you know, if you're not getting large scale mass appeal, then mm-hmm. people don't care about what you're doing. It's important to, to keep that in mind, um, even though what we do sometimes is very insular uh, and small. That doesn't, I think, we're not doing ourselves any justice or, you know, mm-hmm. we're maybe doing a disservice to ourselves and even our community and people who do like what we do by thinking about it as if no one cares. And it reminds me of the, the Frank Zappa quote yeah. where he, you know, someone's like, you know, what are, what do you say to people who don't like your music? He's like, I don't say anything to them. There's plenty of music out there. <laughs> if you don't like what we do, that's fine. There are thousands of artists and I guarantee yeah. someone will do what you like. And it's fine that you don't like what I do and I'm not offended by it. And I think that's yeah. sort of where I've almost expect a little pushback from people mm. when they hear my music. And I think mm-hmm. because of that, I've, I've gotten a little bit thicker skin still, uh, you know, some things are, you know, uh, will get me a little bit more riled up. But in general, I think uh, that's how I approach it as uh, people do care, but on a smaller scale. Well, uh, this is really fantastic. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for taking some time to talk with oh, me yeah. today. It's great. Uh, sharing your thoughts. And uh, a lot of what you said was really inspiring, uh, especially with those, I call them the, the 2 a.m. voices that say, stop writing, don't make any mm. more music. This is awful. <laughs> right. um, before I let you go, where's a place, maybe you can give us some specific places or some ideas uh, about how people can learn more about you and about yeah. music? Yeah, my website is probably the best place. It sort of has everything. Um, it's just johnfielder.com, so J-O-N-F-I-E-L-D-E-R.com. And then SoundCloud is, if you just want to listen, that's the place to go. Um, so that's soundcloud.com slash J-O-N-F-I-E-L-D-E-R. Thanks to John Fielder for sharing his Asthmatic piece, think. This has been The Process, a podcast about creativity and making music. Please like and subscribe or leave a comment on your chosen player.